This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm James Carlton and welcome to God Forbid. One of the most important terms of the 20th century was self-determination. It referred to the great European colonial empires and the right of the countries they colonised to determine their own future as independent nations. Well, today, self-determination could just as easily refer not to nations but individuals, each of us claiming our own right to personal independence, your right to identify yourself and determine who you are. Ah, as superstar singer Taylor Swift says, it can be overwhelming figuring out who to be. But I have some good news, she says. It's totally up to you. She says, I also have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. There's a choice. But is that true, given humans only exist in connection with other people? What comes first, the identity of one or the collective identities of all? The Reverend Dr. Brian Rosner is the principal of Ridley College in Melbourne. He's just delivered the 2022 New College Lecture, Finding Yourself, The Search for Identity, and he's our first guest on the God Forbid panel today. Brian, welcome. Thanks, James. Great to be with you. Now, you say knowing who you are and being true to yourself have never been more important than now. Why? I think that's uh, definitely the case. Uh, So if you do a search of English literature in the previous several centuries, you can do that through an engram search. Identity formation, personal identity and be true to yourself, those kind of things really explode exponentially in the last several decades. So you think of Dylan Alcott, for example, who was the Australian of the Year, just an admirable fellow in every way. Uh, His advice was be yourself and watch the world change. It's become fundamental to all sorts of things. It used to be that the best advice you could give someone was to be true to yourself. And I think we've even moved further along that line. Uh, The best advice now you can give is just simply be yourself. Well, be yourself because everyone else is taken. But it's not new. (laughs) Aristotle said knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. I think there's a difference between knowing yourself and and how you become yourself. So what defines you is what's changed. So in in most cultures around the world, it's not so much looking inward that you find yourself. And certainly even in the West until these recent decades, that's been the case. So what we're experiencing now is what's called expressive individualism, where you look inside yourself to find yourself, you celebrate what you find, you resist all external authority, your personal happiness is the ultimate goal in life. Living authentically is the way to go. Well, isn't the happiness a byproduct of a successful internal inquiry? Uh, certainly, I think uh, seeking happiness above all, it's a bit like trying to get a good night's sleep, isn't it? Uh, you don't get a good night's sleep by trying really hard. Happiness is a byproduct of other things. But finding yourself, that, that's really the question. Do, do we look exclusively inward to find ourselves? Is, is that really the best strategy for finding exclusively, yourself? Exclusively, you say, only, solely. But then having said that, is there a unique and essential inner self? You have to look inside because you won't find it anywhere else. 
I think looking inside yourself is obviously a good thing. Self-reflection is a good thing. You don't want to be a phony. Partly in our society, it's driven by a desire for inclusion. So people who've uh, been part of peripheral communities in society want full recognition, ethnicities, sexualities, and so on. And that's obviously a good thing. But we've got to ask ourselves, is it true to human nature? Are we really self-made selves or are there other directions to look to find yourself? And I think there are. We'll find out what they are soon, but let's get to our other panellist on God Forbid, Princess R. Lakshman. She's a a narrative therapist, a counsellor, a nutritionist, a writer. She'll be facilitating a a self-care workshop, the Mind, Body and Soul Women's Retreat in Western Sydney next month. Uh, Princess Lakshman, welcome back to God Forbid. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm ever so grateful that I'm back again on your program. Do you believe there is a unique, essential inner self we all need to find? Yes, I do believe that. Although I don't like to use the term find oneself. For me, it's about recognizing the essential self. I believe it's always there. It's never lost. Maybe the path is lost and maybe the finding is more about finding the path on which to live my true recognized self. So that's where I I like to think I'm headed. And what do you think about what Brian was saying? It's not just a question of solely looking inward. We have to look around and maybe even look up as well to find out. I agree. I totally agree with Brian in the sense that, for example, in my own life, how I behave is a direct result of the mirroring effect that I feel when I'm in society and what is being mirrored to me through other people's behaviors and reactions and responses. And that in a catalytic way, helps me analyze my own self, analyze my choices, my my preferences, my behavioral choices. But don't you go yeah. the other way when you're counseling people? You say, don't be mirrored. If someone's being angry at you or if someone's got a problem that comes into your space, don't let them negatively shape you. Yeah, that's correct. Don't let them negatively shape you, but become aware that it is there. So in terms of anger, for instance, you know, instead of being angry at someone and acting out the anger, the the preferred approach would be become aware of the anger that is rising within you. And once you become aware, you're on the path of self-awareness as opposed to acting out the emotion, you're aware of the emotion. I'm angry versus I'm aware of the anger brewing inside of me. And when you become aware of that, you can channel it in a way that guides your response to serve yourself and serve others, as opposed to acting out the anger, which is uh, purely self-serving and can actually be detrimental to others. And Brian, you say in the past... Life's big questions were settled before we were born, you know, where you'd live, what you'd do for a trade, the type of person you'd married, your basic beliefs. Today we get to choose all those things to an extent. That's a good thing. That's an improvement, right? I think there are benefits there and choice is a good thing, but you can be spoilt for choice. Uh, One anthropologist put it that in the past, our lives were like rivers. You'd be driven along in a certain direction, as you've just described. But today, our lives in a postmodern world, in the West at least, is like an ocean. So you can go in any direction you like, drift along in any current with any wind. There's also a chance you might drown. Well, what's the alternative? What choices would you have denied to us? 
Uh, it's not so much a matter of denying choice. It's about uh, looking in other directions which are true to human nature. So I think as well as being uh, individuals, we have to take into account the fact that we're social beings, as you were just describing. We know ourselves by being known by persons other than ourselves. You know that if you're married, you find out about yourself <laughs> uh, very much yes. uh, in relationships. Uh, we also look backwards and forwards to our stories. So we're storytelling beings and um, our lives tend to, um, with those stories, dwell in shared stories. So I think the idea that we live in our own individual story, we're the hero, we're the narrator, we're the illustrator, we're the editor, is, is, is fallacious. And that the third direction, which I think puts a different spin on the other two directions, is I think irrepressibly human beings look up. So uh, if you want to use some Latin, we're homo sociologicus, we're social beings, we're homo neuratus, we're storytelling beings, we're also homo adorans, we're adoring beings. And we can look up in one way or another uh, to one thing or another. From a Christian point of view, uh, looking up to the true and living God is what makes the difference. And there is a temptation to look up to things that don't end up satisfying us. So making central things like sex, money, success, family, all those kind of things. I think you're talking about mm -hmm. awe there, A-W-E, and that's open to the atheist, like Richard Dawkins says he's in awe of the universe. Yeah, indeed, yes. I think it's a human predilection to worship and to find something bigger than ourselves. Well, he wouldn't healthy. say, I worship the universe. No, true. He says, I'm in awe of the universe. The Bible puts it interestingly. There's a, an obscure verse in an Old Testament book called Ecclesiastes which says, God has put eternity in our hearts. And seeing we're in Sydney, I think back to the year 2000 with Arthur Stace, who was a illiterate alcoholic who became a Christian at Barney's on Broadway and then wrote the word... Way back in 1930. Something like that. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, you know the story better than I do. And then oh, he wrote, As a child, I used to see what you're about to describe. There you go. He used to write on the footpaths all over the city in chalk the word eternity. And then at the year 2000, emblazoned on the Harbour Bridge with his handwriting was the word eternity. It was the most uh, exquisite script... Oh, well, it was his handwriting. It was beautifully put. But what, what interests me is that no one objected. No one said we should have oblivion up there. So all of us think there's something beyond this world, something that our yearnings and deepest longings look to for satisfaction, a longing for justice, for beauty, for hope, those kind of things. You agree, Princess? Well, going to um, Richard Dawkins that you mentioned, you know, he's he's in awe of the universe. Um, he doesn't worship the universe. I guess that Brian pointed out the Christian perspective from the Islamic perspective and from, from my own practice of it and everything that I've read and understood, searching of one's own inner self has a lot to do with understanding your surrounding, understanding and contemplating how we affect each other. Nature, for instance, you know, a lot of times people feel that we are us and the nature when really Islamically we are nature and we're part of this entire cosmos. So how we affect each other as human beings, how we affect the planet, the entire universe, every single thing we think of, every single deed we perform and every single act that we perform has a ripple effect. And so knowing yourself and then understanding yourself and accepting that self is really the journey of uh, self-discovery. Well, on our end, God forbid, we are with Princess R. Lakshman and Reverend Dr. Brian Rosner. Much more ahead.
what might prompt someone to search for the inner self? Well, after the unexpected death of her mother, 22-year-old Cheryl Strayed found herself struggling. Impulsively, she decided to leave everything she knew and walk 1,700 kilometres, the Pacific Crest Trail that spans from the border of Mexico to Canada. The story of that walk became a best-selling book, Wild, a journey from lost to found. Cheryl Strayed spoke about walking through grief and facing up to her inner self. She's speaking with Richard Feidler in front of a live Sydney Writers' Festival audience in 2013. One of the things that I lost along the way, my tremendous grief and the turmoil that followed the years after my mother's death, one of the things I lost was my marriage. I had married very young, really really too young in retrospect, but to, to a, a great guy. But I just couldn't sustain that, that marriage uh, in the face of my grief. And so that came undone. And when I was divorcing, I realized I needed to find a new last name for myself. My father's not in my life and, and hadn't been since I was six. And so I didn't feel like having his name was really important to me. And so I, I knew I needed to invent myself, to reinvent myself, and to n- make a new path. So I searched for a word that fit, and strayed was it. It's been my name now for 18 years. I like the fact that it's strayed and not stray. Like, you're not a stray, but you had strayed or something. The past tense there seems, seems to be kind of significant. And you, maybe you should be Cheryl Found now. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, strayed still really fits. And I think that sometimes we think of the negative connotations with that word. But really, even, even 18 years ago when I chose the word, I was really responding to, to what I see as really a positive narrative. Somebody who has taken an alternative path. You do have to go outside the mainstream and wander into the unknown. And I think so many of the things, so many of the moments in Wild, there's a scene where the, a fox walks up to me and we look at each other and the fox walks off and I yell after it, mom, mom, mom. I didn't know um, what I was doing and I still don't know what I was doing. So many people have said to me, well, do you think that your mom was the fox? Or do you think the fox was God? Or do you think, and the answer is, I don't know. I wasn't thinking, I was feeling. And also that there is a realm of life that that is the inexplicable. And so I tried to put those things all on the page as honestly as I could. And that's what it means to be wild. That's not really about the wilderness. I mean, obviously it refers to the wilderness and to the wild places I, I literally went on my hike. And so much of the book is about that, the fun adventure aspect of the book. But I think that the more important and meaningful part of the book is that the wild within us and the savage self that I became in touch with through my grief and also through the difficulty of that hike. And that's Cheryl Strayed, the author. Speaking with Richard Feidler, you can hear more of that RN Conversations discussion. We'll put a link on the God Forbid website. Well, Brian Rosnett, Cheryl found herself when she was alone. What does that say about turning inward to find your identity? Well, I think the first thing to say is it's not an uncommon experience in our day to have some instability with respect to your identities. Many people are saying that they're having trouble knowing who they really are. Uh, Back in the mid-90s, I was in the UK. I had a university post, three children, happily married in a church setting, and uh, my wife um, unexpectedly left me, and that shook me to the core, and I was wondering who I was. I remember sitting in a car waiting for the windscreen to the mist, as you would in Scotland, and uh, looking up in the rearview mirror and wondering, who's that? 
Instead of finding myself, what I found as a believer, I went back to the Bible and the notion of being found became very important to me. Rather than knowing myself, I was known intimately and personally by God as his child. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says something very similar. He, he writes this poem from prison where he's, he, he's wondering, who am I? Who am I? Well, the guards think I'm really proud and uh, uh, successful and, and confident, but inside I'm longing for birds and song and colours and conversation. He ends off the poem by saying, who am I? Lonely questions mock me. Who I really am, you know me, I'm yours. So I think what the Christian faith in my case has offered is this notion not so much of personal autonomy, but of belonging, not to myself, but to someone else. It's, it's a radical thought in our day. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says that uh, you belong to someone else. You are not your own. That's almost heresy in the postmodern West. But he goes on to say, you were bought with a price. So it's the, it's the love demonstrated to us by Jesus dying on the cross that Christians look to, to secure their identity. Belonging in a loving relationship is one of the most beautiful experiences on earth, and it can give a very stable and satisfying sense of self. But non-Christians have that too, uh, non-believers broadly, because they can be loved by lovers, by children, by family. So what's your advice for them? Oh, indeed. I, I think looking around to our relationships is of fundamental importance. But there is, having said that, an impermanence to our relationships. And from a Christian point of view, not, not everyone will agree with this, of course, but just speaking from my own lived experience, it was having that permanent, loving, uh, eternal relationship secured at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ who died on my behalf for me, which really established and gave me a stable sense of self. It also gives you a sense of direction in life because that cross event ends up defining the kind of life I should be living, one of self-giving sacrifice in service of others. There's, there's a beautiful poetic verse in one of the Hebrew prophets which says, uh, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, uh, he knows those who take refuge in him. And I think when, when you're in trouble, when you're in distress, that's one of the great things in life that you need. It's not going to get you up out of bed whistling a happy tune, but it can douse that uh, sense of uh, uh, being engulfed by your own situation. So looking to God for comfort in the midst of my own identity instability uh, proved to me of great benefit. What's your view, Princess? Mm. Finding comfort in the divine. I look at my daughter for that comfort. I look at the love. And uh, I agree with Brian when it comes to love. I just have a different uh, interpretation and display of it. And that has to do with the bond that I feel with my daughter and the service that I feel I need to perform for others within the community and to people outside of my own Muslim community as well. As far as um, finding my own comfort on a daily basis, I too have a spiritual practice, so a religious practice. It's not ritualistic. I may not be able to perform my obligatory prayers on the dot every day, but I do as many as I can, and I do it with love for my creator and love for everything he has created. When I say everything, I don't dismiss 
pain and the trauma and the inflictors of the pain and the oppressors that are out there. I don't dismiss them and I actually pray for them to to find love and to understand love in a manner where they can embrace it in their own lives and they can uplift people and, and not put so much pain on others. But it's sometimes really traumatic because you can't change the world. So how do you find comfort in that thought, knowing that you can't change the world and the pain that most of the world is in right now? And so what I do is, well, what can I do with my own life that will have some impact? So I try and be kinder with myself. And I try and inflict less pain on myself through the thoughts that I think and through the actions that I perform. And this is uh, personal for you, isn't it? Because just like Brian had a traumatic experience with his marriage breakdown, uh, your former marriage recast your life. Yes, absolutely. It was quite violent for 10 years. And then in 2011, I had the courage to take my daughter, had, had only nearly $2 in my account, had a brain tumor, which was the size of a golf ball. And um, and I left that place and uh, started a new life in Brisbane, Australia. And, um, and in that time, I did remarry. But yeah, marriage has a lot to do with my own rediscovery of self as well, the marriage breakdown and also the new marriage, because um, the trauma was so much that I was vigilant about the pain repeating itself or the the infliction of the pain repeating itself. And I would do certain things trying to defend my past. And then my, my husband now would hold up a mirror literally and say, look, this is me. You're talking to me. I'm not him. And it was that kind of... Uh, catalyst that I really needed. And I got that from my Muslim community as well, because I actually was disowned by my own blood relatives because I chose Islam as my path. You're from a Hindu and, background, uh, yeah. Yes, yes, correct. I'm, I come from a Hindu background and I still appreciate the teachings of that, um, except for the idol worshipping part. It was a huge transition in my life to have the, the illness and then the mental illness that followed and then the trauma of childhood trauma that I experienced growing up as well. All of that coupled with a mountain of new pain that was coming in front of me. Um, so all of that really did challenge me to find a path for myself, which wasn't self-sabotaging. And uh, trust me, there were days, in fact, there were years where most of the actions and most of the thoughts were self-sabotaging. And until and unless I actually got professional help and actually had my husband full-time with me, my husband now that is, who was that help? And my daughter. So I look to comfort from God's love displayed through human kindness in my life. And I am so grateful to my husband, my daughter, and my Muslim community for that human kindness that I so yearned and and was neglected that kindness growing up and was neglected that kindness in my previous marriage for a decade. And I didn't know how to respond to that kind of kindness until I could learn from these people that I was okay. And yes, I was damaged and broken, but I was okay to receive that kindness. I was worth it to receive that kindness. I deserved it. And that's what gave me the encouragement to then find my own kindness and start displaying it to others. 
And Brian, Princess's moving journey to mental health after the trauma of her experience, in your book and in your lecture, you say the self-made self, and that's what she did, she remade herself, is the product of expressive individualism, fragile, faulty, failing, and that's why we're living in a lonely, angsty, confused world. Or am I misunderstanding? Uh, Well, I'm not sure if Princess actually said what you described just then. Um, I think she was really saying that the the social connection was what saved her and the, the love of her husband, the love of her community. But that, it, she had to love herself first and that gives rise to all the things that you seem to be railing against in this postmodern world, that we love our narrative and we create our narrative. So I, I'm not against looking inward. I'm against looking inward exclusively to find yourself. Mm. And yeah. uh, I think that's where the problems arise. I mean, there are so many problems in our society now to do with anxiety, depression, narcissism, a kind of instability uh, around the self. And there are different explanations for that. But I do think that the turn inward has proven to be an unhelpful one. So the idea that you can look inward and simply find and celebrate what you find is not true to human nature. All of us know deep down that in our hearts, as, as Jesus put it, there's all sorts of things that don't belong there. So reforming, being transformed is, is a necessity really um, in order to uh, move forward with a stable and satisfying and uh, useful self that will be of benefit to others. But can't we do that ourselves, by ourselves, within ourselves? A, a, a fearless, searching, internal, moral inventory will wipe away those problems you have concern about. Well, the evidence I would adduce is modern Western society. We're, we're just not in a better place than we were in so many ways, even a few decades ago. So th- the idea that looking inward and celebrating what you find and seeking your own personal happiness above all else is not true to human nature and it's not going to be helpful in the end. We need to connect ourselves to a bigger story that is worth living. So if you don't celebrate what you find when you look inside yourself, what are you supposed to do? Renounce yourself? There's nothing wrong with looking inward, but to find your true identity by looking inward is not going to work. I mean, the Lord Jesus himself, which is really strange if you think about it, said a statement that seems to be directly opposed to what we're calling expressive individualism. Namely, he said, the one who finds themselves will lose themselves and the one who loses themselves for my sake will find themselves. I think finding yourself is a byproduct of doing other things rather than the exclusive focus of looking inward. On God Forbid, we are with Reverend Dr. Brian Rosner and Princess Lakshman. We have more on self-discovery in the COVID era up next. Once COVID hit, a strange economic phenomenon was observed, known as the Great Resignation or the Big Quit. It refers to an ongoing economic trend in which workers voluntarily resign from their jobs en masse, citing things like wage stagnation, poor opportunities, inflexible work environments. At the same time, the migration of Australians from cities to rural towns that doubled during COVID, soul-searching about ourselves and life's meaning, is now a well-documented side effect of the pandemic. So what are we searching for and have we found it? Indira Naidu spoke with Amal Awad, the author of The Things We See in the Light, about a new age of enlightenment, reflection, and our increasingly inward searches for answers about who we really are. 
You know, I think there's a lot of performative self-discovery. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I definitely think that the new age is expanding and beyond that self-help, let's say, which isn't exactly new age, but can be. I, I think that we see a lot of evidence of people wanting to live a hashtag best life and all of these things. But I, I, I guess I question sort of how much of it is really affecting people in a way where they really are transforming because I feel like some of it is just performance. It's, you know, it is buying the very expensive candle. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's reading the latest self-help book and this is the solution and my life will change forever. And, you know, you mentioned the inward journey versus the external and really they're, they're intertwined. You don't have one without the other and they will reflect each other. And I think that sometimes we get very caught up in showing people what we want to be rather than actually becoming that. And I think that's where, I think the pandemic, when it first happened, I remember writing about it and saying, my concern is that I think a lot of people will be tested by it, but not necessarily transformed. <laughs> and so I wonder how much of that is true. And I guess we all know through our own interactions with people that a lot of people obviously have had to make massive changes in their lives. How have we changed internally, though? That's another question. Mm. So when you hear these stories, and, and a lot of us have heard it, about people suddenly saying, I'm, I'm quitting that job, I'm changing careers, I'm leaving a long-term partner perhaps, what do you think is driving that if not a desire for for true transformation? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that is what I call the tower moment. So I don't know if you're familiar with tarot, but in the tarot deck, there is a, a tower card, which is, it's quite a sight. It's basically a building on fire and people are leaping from the building. And it's <laughs> it's kind of a card of destruction and a lot of people fear it, but actually it's a really good card to get because, you know, when that building is destroyed, it's actually destroying you know, inauthentic foundations. So, you know, the tower moments in our lives are usually the things that are uprooting what is false. And I think that's what's happening. People are saying, I, I actually, this, this trauma that I'm going through or this difficulty is making me see things from a different perspective. And I realise that this part of my life isn't what I want it to be and this part isn't authentic isn't authentic. So I'm going to make that change, but it doesn't end there. And I think that's important to note that usually when we go through transformation, a lot changes in the process. It's not just the job. It's, it's telling you something about who you are. Why was I in that job in the first place? What do I really want this new job that I want? What will that be? What will that, will that make me happy? Can I be happy without that job? There's so many questions to think about when we make changes in our lives. Mm. Amal, this is a story uh, about a self-discovery journey of a very devout uh, Muslim woman um, who's come back home to Australia. Where did this idea for this book and story come from? Um, so the the main character, Sahara, she's actually in my first two novels. So she's one of the friends in from the original book, Courting Samira. And she was the most religious, devout friend. And with Sahara, I was really, she turned out to be the deepest journey for me out of all of the books. And it surprised me because it's never really just about religion, right? So she might have been raised the most devout girl, you know, she was extremely socially phobic as a result of her, you know, her timidity and all of these things. But really it's it's never just about religion or restriction or a headscarf. It's about authenticity. 
It's about living an authentic life, which means I'm living truthfully as myself. And this is who I am. And I'm not like the person next door, but I'm also not just, I'm a daughter of these parents, for example, mm. but I don't have to be them, you know, and it's, it's just really deep questions that I got to ask with Sahar about sort of, who are you really deep down if you've never challenged any of the structures that were put in place for you? And that's Amal Awad, author of The Things We See in the Light, speaking with Indira and I do for ABC Nightlife, a link to their full conversation on the God Forbid website. Well, uh, Princess Lakshman, mm. what do you think about this authentic life? It's the term of our times, isn't it, to be authentic? Yes, yes, it is. It's also become quite a bit of a new age dogmatic statement as well, where, you know, you find spiritual gurus are pretty much dime a dozen. They are and life coaches trying to turn your traumatic story into a six figure income stream. So there's all kinds of spiritualism on sale at the moment using that phrase authenticity. And if I may go back to Amal's take on uh, authenticity, I really liked what she said about, you know, knowing knowing the self and and destroying that part of the self that is harmful, that will take you away from your authentic self. I actually don't feel it's necessary to completely destruct that prior self. And what I mean by that is the acceptance of that prior self, that wounded self, and the forgiveness of the prior self, the, the healing of the prior self's trauma and the kindness towards other selves who continue to trigger this prior self. These four pillars have become a daily part of my own recovery and healing and continuous self-discovery. I don't believe that one can completely, you know, destruct the prior self because, um, well, because that would create much agony in the mind and body and would definitely have an impact on the spirit. What I've learned is to consciously engage in a daily practice of, uh, of self-awareness where I can catch myself out when the external triggers provoke that prior self to rekindle in some way. The self-awareness helps me to kind of be kind and take care of that wounded self and not dismiss it, not destroy it. And I take care of it through my practice of Islam and through the comforting passages of the Quran and the quiet contemplation of these passages. That's what then teaches me to treat others in a way that is kind and healing for them as well, so that I'm not perpetuating bad behavior. I'm not perpetuating coming out of your authentic selves to try and defend yourself. You know, if I provoke others, they too will veer away from their authenticity and they too will resort to only reactionary behavior. And that actually perpetuates the inauthentic authentic collective self. And that's where I'm coming from. It's not about destroying your prior self. It's really about accepting, nurturing and healing so that you can be aware that that self still is inside of you and can at some point be triggered again. But then what do you do unless you have the awareness to respond in a strategic manner? Um, you will get strayed again. And that's where religion, I feel, in my own case, has been a good strategy. So for someone who is not um, religious or doesn't have a religious practice, maybe they have some other strategy. But 
in my case and and probably Brian's case, we have our scripture, we have our religious teachings, and that can be a great strategy to act from the authentic self. Well, Brian Rosner, what do you think about finding your authentic life? And what is it? I mean, given it's the question about times, misunderstood question. Yes, I think authenticity is an ambiguous concept, really, because what if me being authentic is me being lazy, uh, me being cruel, me being controlling, etc. So you've really got to ask uh, back that question we had earlier about transformation. Uh, but I think I'd go back to the last few years of the pandemic, and I agree with you that uh, certainly a lot of people are asking questions about their own lives now because of what's been stripped away. And it really comes down to this question of what defines me. So during the pandemic, so many of the things that define us were taken away. So I love the program on Radio National, uh, The Year That Made Me, where famous people talk about what year in their lives, sometimes prior to their lives, that really set the course of their lives, set their character in place. Each week on Sunday Extra. <laughs> yes. And uh, so um, from, from a Christian point of view, it, it, we've got a different take on this because the year that made me was 33 AD, the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what set the course of my life. And uh, um, in Orthodox Christian teaching, his return will also be a, a kind of revelation of who I really am. So the challenge for the Christian is to put on that new self in the meantime, to admit our failures and shortcomings, and uh, to live in a way that's consistent. So I think authenticity in that sense is spot on. So if we hear these days, you do you, the Christian should be saying, you do the new you. Uh, if we hear them saying, uh, be true to yourself, be true to your true self. I think it was the church father, Augustine, who said that our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. So really what the Christian faith is offering is exactly what the society is looking for, an authentic self and a story that's worth living. It's not what society is looking for. The, the pews the, are empty and getting emptier. The parishioners are old and getting older. And that leaves just us to find out our mm. authentic selves. I think it's a bit of a, a misconception to think that religion uh, is in retreat. Certainly in the West, that's the case with various censuses, but spirituality is not. People are looking to other things to fill that gap, that kind of vacuum which Christians believe is God-shaped. And then around the world, in other cultures, in Africa and Asia, uh, Christianity is on the rise, and I believe Islam is as well. Um, so I think that the idea that we're not spiritual beings, that we should just take on a secular materialist philosophy, what we see is all there is, for most people, at some point in their lives, that comes unstuck. Now, unfortunately, the church hasn't done a great job in uh, promoting a better story, a different message, but that's certainly its responsibility. And Princess Lakshman, what's your view on this? Can't we be secular and still have, for want of a better word, transcendent in our lives? We don't have to have a deity or turn to, you know, an ancient book. I agree. I think it's a very personal journey and a personal choice, but collectively above all comes humanity. And that's where we're struggling at the moment because things like the real pandemic is not the COVID. The real pandemic is racism. The real pandemic is uh, inequality. 
the real pandemic is, uh, you know, sexism, ageism, all of this points towards disrespect of the human race, collective human race. And when you only talk about one religion being the answer for everyone, if we need to live harmoniously, we need to look at respect, collective respect and acceptance of all different races and all different personal journeys. So not to disown someone just because someone wants to be religious, but then not to, um, you know, not to stop practicing just because someone is criticizing you for being religious. So one is entitled to one's own personal practice. But the problems you cite, sexism, racism, ageism, they were worse when we were more religious. The period, you know, Reverend Rosner is looking back at with affection. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm looking back with affection. Uh, well, you're, you're I think... saying we're getting worse. That means necessarily we were better. I'm not saying we're getting worse. I, I'm, I'm uh, mentioning the many social commentators who report, the, uh, who report the rise of anxiety and depression and other ills that are afflicting society. Look, look, I'm not at all saying that we should return to the 1950s. I mean, the 1950s had big problems in all sorts of ways. There was a kind of uh, everyone sitting in rows and a kind of uniformity and oppressive nature to it, the education system. So there have been some great benefits with uh, the, the progress, if you like, in terms of uh, what we're calling expressive individualism. But I don't think it's it's hard to say, I don't think it's difficult uh, to believe that things haven't gone as well as they might. I, I agree with uh, Princess that uh, the problems of social justice are paramount in our society. So we, we, we need something to deal with society's ills, which isn't itself divisive. So the, the social justice movement, I think, has, has a great cause to pursue and, and really important issues to address, but they're not the only issues in society. On our end, it's God forbid, we're looking at hiding places, hiding from the inner self, hiding from what's outside us as well. It's God forbid. <laughs> There is a search for the inner self, but there are also ways to hide from what's inside us. It's a new take on hide and seek. In his 2020 book, The Inner Self, the social researcher Hugh McKay says there are many ways in which we hide from our true selves. He says only when we confront the challenging question, who am I really, can we enrich not only our lives, but the lives of others. He's speaking with Philip Adams for RN's LNL. Yeah, the whole information technology revolution, which has been brilliant, but when it gets us, when people cannot actually turn their smartphone off ever, then, of course, they are trapped under this waterfall, this torrential downpour of data, which becomes an insulation from the inner self. So the person who's addicted to the smartphone is a person who doesn't have an inner life. Talking to Hugh McKay about the inner life, and now let's uh, whiz through some of the other hiding places, complacency. Yes. One thing that life has taught me, and I'm sure you and many of our listeners, is we'd better not be complacent. We'd better not be too confident about anything. We'd better recognise that doubt is our constant companion, that life is inherently uncertain. And that, to me, is an encouragement to say, so if I'm going to deal with all this inherent 
instability, uncertainty, doubt, etc., then I'd better be in touch with this hardcore, true inner self. That'll that'll be where I'll be grounded. But people who brush their doubts aside, people who treat religious belief, for example, as though it's an absolute fact, as though it's the same as any other kind of knowledge, are hiding from the doubt that is an inherent part of being human. You end the book by asking us to ponder a quote from Gandhi. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. And I'm sure it's true that the best way to find ourselves is through the service of others. In other words, via compassion, because compassion comes from the authentic self. I'm talking about our responsibility to the species to treat each other well. And as Gandhi says, when we do that, uh, when we commit ourselves to the service of our fellow human beings, uh, in whatever form that service might take, that's when we truly find who we are. Social researcher Hugh McKay speaking with Philip Adams about his book, The Inner Self, The Joy of Discovering Who We Really Are. You can find a link to their full discussion on LNL on the God Forbid website. So Brian Rosner, the service of others in the era of Facebook. You explore this in your book. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful phrase where he talks about incessant autobiography, and that's what we're seeing on the social media, isn't it? You, you kind of put up your life story, what you're eating, what you're doing, what you've been up to, all, all sorts of aspects of your life. And the odd thing is it's the epitome of self-creation on the one hand, but it actually encourages an unhealthy thirst for validation, on the other hand. Do you have a Facebook page? I do, and I struggle with it, to be honest. Because you mightn't get enough likes or the reaction to what you post might not be warm enough? Well, it's pathetic to say, but it's exactly right. So I'll put up a post and then right throughout the day, I'll be looking to see just how many people have liked it and the comments, and I like to stoke it. And I'm not uh, decrying the use of social media um, in, in a complete sense, But it's a lot of social researchers have shown that especially among young people in particular, it's it's an unhealthy thing. Uh, When used excessively, it can lead to a distorted self-image, a negative self-image. So I think social media, like everything, needs to be used wisely. And uh, it's, it's a great challenge for all of us. Princess, what do you think about what Brian is saying about this era of incessant autobiography? It brings me back to Brian's words earlier, and he said that we are storytelling beings. And as a narrative therapist, I agree with that. We are storytelling beings, and and oftentimes we have shared stories. And I believe it's just the platform that's changed now. The platform is either Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook. But the actual yearning to be heard, that yearning remains. So, yeah, I think it's just the platform that's now new and forever evolving because of technology, but it's not going to go away anytime soon. Well, a final question to both of you then before we get to the quiz. What's your advice to those people who do not feel affirmed, who do feel lost or aimless in their lives. What's your advice to them? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Hugh McKay was uh, someone you mentioned a few moments ago and we had him talking about one of his books. One of his other books is about the 10 desires that drives us. He said uh, the most important desire that drives people from birth to their death is the desire to be acknowledged, to be known and to be loved. 
So I, I would say to people that the gospel, the Christian message, offers you something exactly along those lines. But it, that's not a practical solution for non-Christians unless they want to become Christian. It's not the only thing. It's the beginning of uh, what we're talking about. So joining a community where you've got that uh, loving and being loved, knowing and being known it is, is the next step. Now, people may find that community elsewhere, but just to uh, keep banging my drum, I think churches are places in general. There are many sad exceptions, of course, but churches are places in general where someone can find that affirmation and love and grow in the sense of, of their sense of self and being known. And where do you think, Princess Lakshman, last word to you, people can find this affirmation, this community, this love that Brian and Hughes speak of? Well, I feel that one must start first with just sitting a little bit uh, in silence by themselves, you know, alone for a while and really just breathing. I feel that mindfulness is a wonderful way to begin that journey because when you sit with yourself and you look at uh, your own self and you try and understand that you are here, you are here, you exist, and because you are here and because you exist, you matter. And the underlying fear that I don't matter, I'm not good enough, that needs to be challenged. And the only way you can challenge that is by actually accepting that you do matter and you're important. Having comfort in that existence is important. And if you're feeling lost, know that there are many others who may be feeling the same way and know that there is help. So, Reach out, reach out to whoever you can trust, reach out to your loved ones or at least one or two of the loved ones, reach out to a trusted friend, reach out to a trusted professional. There is always help and you're not alone in this feeling of feeling lost. That feeling of feeling lost, it's with everybody. We're all humans and we all have those days and we're here to be of service to each other. That's the only real joy. Deep down, if I can be of service to you, that in itself is joyful for me. And that's when that whole feeling of feeling lost goes away. Thank you, Princess. We'll test the idea that material joy doesn't matter when we find the winner of the Witsend quiz up next. <laughs> Inshallah. <laughs> Mashallah. Witsend! Uh, yes, it's uh, Witsend, the God forbid quiz. As always, we begin with the buzzers. Now, Brian Rosner, you've just delivered the 2022 new college lecture entitled Finding Yourself, and this is how it's done. Test your buzzer. There's no trick to it. It's just a simple trick. Yeah, and Princess Lakshman, you're more of a Homer Simpson devotee. You believe this is what we discover once we've finally found ourselves. We're all fine the way we are. Yeah. Now, first question, who said this and where did he say it? This above all else to thine own self be true and it must follow as night the day. Thou canst not then be false to any man. Well, Shakespeare said it and... Uh, he wrote um, it. <laughs> true. I'm sure he said it out loud at some point. I'm afraid I can't go further than that. Uh, was it Laertes? Polonius. Polonius. In Hamlet. Um, he was the chief minister of King Claudius. And who was he saying yes. it to? We're all fine the way we are. To Hamlet. No, no, he was saying it to his son, Polonius advising him on how to behave when he goes to university. Ah, okay. <laughs> Must have been just before O-Week. <laughs> um, 
Next question. Which famous Dr. Seuss character said, be who you are and say what you feel? No idea. Uh, I'm going to have to pass again, I'm afraid. Shakespeare, Dr. Seuss. The character was Cat in the Hat. Yeah. Now, next question. True or false? The following diverse group of Americans have all said, quote, be true to yourself. Oprah, Ellen DeGeneres, Beyonce, Michelle Obama and their friend Donald Trump. There's no trick to it. It's just a simple trick. Correct. <laughs> yes. Correct. <laughs> follow-up question. Where did Donald Trump actually say be true to yourself? Uh, Liberty University commencement. Exactly, 2017 in, uh, in Virginia. He said to the students, I know that each of you will be a warrior for truth and that you will be true to yourself and your country and your beliefs. Well done, Brian. Next wow. question. A US founding father, Benjamin Franklin, said in 1750, the edition of his uh, Poor's Richard Almanac, he says there are three things that are extremely hard. Knowing oneself is one. Steel is the other thing that's extremely hard. What's the third thing that's extremely hard? Is it A, the butt of an Englishman's musket, B, the hide of an alligator, C, a diamond, or D, marriage? There's no trick to it. It's just a simple trick. Is it E, a pop quiz? <laughs> We're all fine the way we are. D, marriage. Yeah, it is, but that's not the answer. <laughs> um, a, a diamond is the other one that Benjamin Franklin says is extremely hard. Australian question now. The lyric, do what you want to do, be what you want to be, yeah, is from which 1970 Australian rock band? I'm passing again, I'm afraid. Princess is too young, I'm sure. <laughs> Five years before I was born. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the Master Apprentices, the song because oh. the song it's because I love you with uh, Glenn Wheatley on the bass, who sadly passed away in February. Uh, well, with that, we've reached the end of God forbid. We've uh, found ourselves at the end of the program, <laughs> you might say. Uh, but I want to thank our guests for getting us on that journey, Princess R. Lakshman. Thank you for being back on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much and uh, thank you to the listeners. Princess is a narrative therapist, a counsellor, a writer, clinical nutritionist and uh, she'll be running the Mind, Body and Soul Women's Retreat in Western Sydney next month. Uh, the Reverend Dr Brian Rosner, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, James, and thanks, Princess. Thank uh, his latest book, How to Find Yourself, Why Looking Inward is Not the Answer. He's just delivered the 2022 New College Lecture on the same theme. You can follow the God Forbid podcast on the ABC Listen app. You can email me at godforbid at abc.net.au. I'm James Carlton. Remember to be good. This has been God Forbid. listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.